Thank you for tuning in. This is the Popcorn and Pop Culture Podcast. Happy holidays to you all from both of us. My name is Robert Eng. With me over Skype, all the way from sunny Florida in December, it's Michael Sheehan. What's up, man? We wish you a movie Christmas. We wish you a movie Christmas. Yo, yo, yo. How's everybody doing? (laughs) We are back in action after a long hiatus. Um, Good buddy Mike has been real busy. Mike, how has it been? been good so in case you didn't know i had a baby well my wife had a baby and i've been taking care of it as well (laughs) um so you know he's four months old his name is indiana for all you movie lovers out there um so it's just been quite the adventure but obviously it's been very time consuming so i apologize for our short departure from podcasting but hopefully in 2018 we'll get back into a, a good rhythm again whoop whoop well here's my question so indiana um did you have a name for if if you had a girl, yes, uh, Penelope. If we had a girl, ah, nice. I was just curious about that. Usually, usually the couples pick out like a guy, a boy, and a girl names. I was just curious what yours was. Yeah, so we, you know, we we did not find out the sex of her baby until birth. Mm. So we had both prepared and ready. Um, we actually had um, but Penelope was only the was only the girl, the only girl name we had picked out. But we were between two for boy names, um, Indiana and Oscar, <laughs> also you movie lovers. Um, but we decided to go with Indiana. Uh, you know, basically, as soon as we saw him, we were like, oh, he's Indiana. That's it, Indiana, right there. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. Okay, so end of the year, 2017, was a very uh, memorable year for Mr. Sheehan. For me, not as much, but, you know, it, it's it's been a good one. And uh, so we're going to kind of recap the year and talk about movies, talk about television shows, and talk about which ones were our favorites, and maybe just overall discuss the uh, the state of Hollywood and just how that's how they're producing these type of uh, TV shows and movies. So, Mike, please... Do the honors. What was your favorite movie of 2017? Well, first, let me just say a little caveat. So, obviously, I didn't get to see as many movies this year as I would have liked to. And I, I, I also just feel like this kind of was a weak year for movies. Um, and, and maybe that's a bad thing to say because I didn't see as many as I normally would. Um, so, maybe I have a, a bad opinion about that. But... I, I really felt like, for me, this was the first year that TV shows really overtook film. Um, I've always been, you know, a movie guy. I love going to the theater. I love paying and just sitting there eating some popcorn, watching stuff on the big screen. That's one of my favorite, if not my favorite thing to do. Um, but this year, you know, there was just so many more TV shows that I looked forward to um, and wanted to, wanted to check out and, and watch. So it was quite the interesting year. I mean, how did you feel about this year in movies before we go to the list? Yeah, you know, I was I was thinking about this. I wouldn't say this was a weak year. I would actually say last year was a lot weaker than this year. I honestly think as a whole, this was a very, like... I thought it was a very experimental year and a progressive year in movies. We didn't get those, like, standout two or three films that, like, maybe 25 years down the line, we're going to look back and be like, oh my god, this movie came out in 2017. We don't have those films. But I think overall, like, I was surprised mid-year about how many good films already came out, because I I wouldn't have expected films to be really good 
by the time it was like at the end of summer, you know, we had Get Out already that came out. We had movies like Logan, and we had we had some really controversial movies coming out at that time, like Mother and A Ghost Story, so and Baby Driver and The Big Sick. Like we've had really quality films that came out before like September even came. So that was, in in my opinion, very very you know, awesome just to experience, and then now, since we are towards the end of the year, it, it is award season, and we have been getting a lot more awards-worthy films, I think they, I think a lot of those films are living up to their, um, you know, their standards, that they have to be this prestige type of movie, but at the same time, to your uh, account, I'm going to agree that we don't have, I wouldn't say we have one film that it's going to go down in like a hall of fame of movies you know you know it's not going to be really really memorable 20 years down the line but like i said compared to last year and we've discussed this when we talked about you know last year's oscars and movies as a whole because we recapped it too i think this is a much stronger year than last year all right well i'm i you know obviously we agree to disagree um the one thing i'll just say is a lot of the movies you mentioned, yeah, they came out in the in the middle of the year or toward the beginning of the year, but there's really not been anything since a lot of the films that you mentioned, at least not in my view. Um, so there's really like a big gap of time. And I know it's kind of all the always that way. There's never really any like, you know, during the summer blockbusters, there's never like a movie that we're going to be talking about as far as um, quality. You know, obviously all the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies will probably be talked about for a couple of years and people like them not me but people like them mm-hmm. uh so i just felt like there was just not enough strong films from the year so that being said one of the movies that you did mention was one of my three favorite films of the year um so i rob remind me did we say we were going to do our, our favorite movie first Yes, let's stick with, uh, let's go one, two, and three, so we could talk more the most about our actual favorite movies. Gotcha. So, I would have to say that my favorite film uh, of the year was Dunkirk, um, by Christopher Nolan. Uh, this was a, a very um, straightforward film. Um, you know, it, it, it's, you know, it takes place uh, during the war, World War II, um, and... It, it's just a kind of you know about this this event that happened um, at Dunkirk, and it's just a, it's just a really well done film. You know, there's not a ton of dialogue uh, throughout the whole movie. It's it's really just incredible sound, uh, phenomenal cinematography. Um, it just great, storytelling at its finest, in my opinion, and it just stuck out as the best movie of the year for me. Yeah, I have Dunkirk as my number two film, so I'm going to talk about that as well. Um, and, and obviously, for the whole sake of this podcast, when we're going to be discussing movies and TV shows, we're not going to spoil anything, because just in case you haven't seen it, we don't want you to turn us off, because we're going to be spoiling, so we're not going to do any spoilers. But yes, Dunkirk Dunkirk isn't a movie that you can spoil, because it's based on true events, uh, World War II time. And yeah, so Mike and I, we love Christopher Nolan. We think he is arguably the finest or one of the top three finest directors of our generation. And when we heard this movie was coming out, we were a little skeptical. We're like, okay, he's doing a, you know, kind of a, a historical 
film, which is a little bit outside of his comfort zone where he usually does sci-fi. So, and then on top of that, I'm like, all right, Christopher Nolan, he made Batman movies two and a half hours long. There's no way that a war epic is going to be shorter than that. And this movie, I think it was like barely two hours. And so... I was so intrigued going into seeing Dunkirk, but I was hyped as anything because I knew, you know, there was still very Christopher Nolan things about this film that I loved and that he still kept in it. Um, for the only really big thing I could say about Dunkirk is that number one is just <clears throat> it was an experience. This was a very non conventional war film. It wasn't plot heavy. It wasn't heavy on this storyline where we follow characters and their development and maybe them seeking revenge or whatever, or just trying to survive. It was just, it felt, and it was like the only war movie I've ever seen that I felt like I was in the wars with them. I was in the trenches with them. I was in the cockpit of the planes with them. And that was something insane to feel. And I'm going to say it like, out of all movies I've seen this year, and maybe ever, this was one movie that I have to say that if you if you have not seen this movie in the theaters, then don't even bother. It's not even worth it because the feeling and the experience you get in the theater watching Dunkirk is unmatchable to any other type of any other form you can watch this film. Like, would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree with it. There, there are very few. I, I don't even know if I can think of. Well, I, the only other movie I can think of is Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. But um, I saw this in IMAX, and it it was worth it. I, I've seen a bunch of movies in IMAX, and ninety percent of them are just just not worth the paying the extra dollars to see it in IMAX. There's not enough content. It, it just doesn't drive home the film enough. But this is one where you just get completely immersed in the experience of the film. Like you said, you, you feel like you're there with the characters, or you are the characters. You know, um, there's I don't even know how many of the characters in the movies have names. They kind of just go and they're talked to, and you, you feel like you've become them to, to some extent. Um, and it just was amazing to see on, on, the, big, on the huge screen like that. Uh, so... I kind of agree, like, you know, if you missed out in the theaters, I mean, some people have some really awesome home theater uh, set up, so it, it may end up being worth it, you know, if you've got a nice little movie theater in your basement and whatnot, um, where you can really kind of get that experience with the surround sound and everything. But, yeah, it's, um, I mean, I still think check it out. It's still a really good film regardless, but it does lose something if you're not seeing it on the big screen. Yeah, and um, on top of that, like, I saw this movie with my wife, and it was just so funny, because, like, maybe halfway through the movie, she just, like, nudges me. She's like, Rob, I'm getting legit PTSD watching this film right now, and that kind of made me chuckle, but at the same time, it was so true, because you were at the edge of your seat, like Mike said, like, you are a character in this film. You're trying to, like, you, you feel, you don't even just hear it, but, like, you feel feel the bullets whizzing by your your head your I, I don't know there were sometimes I'm, I feel like I was ducking at some times and trying to you know just like avoid bombs being set off near me and it was just such a and I I loved how I'm not even sure if, if any other movie that did this uh, war movie but you never really kind of see 
the enemy. There's no villainous like character that like oh we have to trump you know this guy and stuff like that. Like it, it's just, they're just kind of a force that you never really kind of see. You kind of see them in some of the um, the the. the the pilot's uh, story and everything, but they're just they're just really they're just really just out there, and it's just so chaotic. And you you, you don't always just get to face your enemy head on, you know, in war and things like that. So I don't know. I thought they did those decisions throughout the film were really really awesome, and it was just a crazy experience to go through. Yeah, just to expand upon that a little bit, you know, and not giving too much away, but there's like one scene where like um, these characters are like in a boat. Uh, that's uh, washed up on shore and they're just getting shot at and you have no idea where the bullets are coming from and I don't think you ever learn where the bullets are coming from it's just like that's how it was in war like sometimes you're being shot at you have no idea what direction if it's your side if it's the enemy you know it's just it, it's just this crazy experience so that was one of like you know kind of my favorite scenes from the movie because it just it, it, it was so frightening to like feel that that experience of like what these guys must have felt like in that scenario. Uh, so it was, it was just great movie. Um, you know, it's now become one of my favorite Christopher Nolan films. I feel like every time I see one, <laughs> it becomes one of my favorite. Um, but it, it really was, it really was a standout movie of the year and it was my favorite film of the year. So what was yours? Right. So like we already discussed, Dunkirk was my number two. So great pick Mike for your number one, <laughs> my number one film of the year. Um, it's my favorite film of the year. And I'm not saying it's the best film. I'm not saying it's the the highest quality of film. But for me personally, it's the one that I'm going to remember from this year. It's one that I've already watched more than five times, and it it already passes the rewatchability test. And it it, it made me laugh as much as it made me cry. And that movie is The Big Sick. Mike, have you seen this? Yes, and that is actually my number two film. <laughs> oh, look at us. We, we didn't even plan this, folks. We had no idea what we were picking. That's hilarious. All right, we'll have a lot to say then. But, yeah, The Big Sick it was just a film that was firing on all cylinders for me. It was like your, your typical comedy dramedy. And I just love, I mean, one major fact that I love about this film was that it is it was written and stars uh, Kamal Najian who is a Pakistani actor and I I just still marvel that this even number one that this was even greenlit and number two that this was such a, a success story because in this day and age like I would never have imagined that a Pakistani actor who wrote his own movie and starred in it in an independent studio would have gotten so much praise and approval from Hollywood and from America like that in its own right is just applaud worthy but just talking about the film, it is funny. It is it is it is very autobiographical because this is about his true life and how he met his now wife uh, Emily. And it is just it's funny, and then it really takes a turn. Obviously, it's called the Big Sick, so it's not a spoiler to say that it takes a kind of a dark and a, a dark turn there. And then it just becomes this movie about you know family. And I, again, I love how it really does. And Embrace the the different cultures, and you don't get to see this in a lot of mainstream films. This film felt very, um, you know, Judd Apatow, but 
if you look at all, like all Judd Apatow films, they're all they're all white. You know, they're all white. It's all about white guys and white girls. And even though it might be the lovable loser and the hottie that get together, they're they're all they're all Caucasian. Okay, so it's just such a standout film for me because of the cultural differences and because they explore some really like intense issues and topics. And and I don't know as as a whole altogether, it was just. The one film to stick with me. It touched my heart. And like I said, I've watched this movie many times. And it stands up each time over and over again. Mike, so tell me how you felt about The Big Sick. I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. And I'll say that it did feel like a, it felt original. I mean, it, in some aspects, it's kind of uh, similar to a lot of other, I'll, I'll call them rom-coms. I, I don't know if that's even really what this is. But it is a romantic comedy or comedic romance film. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, it just brought to the screen like subject matter that I'm sure has been has been covered before, but it just felt new. It felt like a fresh take on it. It was funny, um, really, really funny. So it, it just, you're watching it, you're like, wow, this is something I've maybe never heard before or never seen before. Um, and it just catches you off guard with its humor and it catches you off guard with its heart. You know, um, I don't want to uh, try not to spoil too much, you know, but there's a couple monologues that uh, Kamel has during the film that are really, really quite powerful, you know, just talking about his experience and you can feel his heartbreak in, in making X decision or, um, you know, doing the things that he does. Uh, so it, it, it's just, a, it was just a really, really good film. Also, uh, Ray Romano, or uh, that's how you say his name, right? Ray Romano. Romano, yeah. Romano. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. So he was really good in the film too. Like, I, I was never a big fan of his show um, uh, on TV. I know a lot of people loved it. Uh, mainly, I really just didn't watch it. But I just thought he was hysterical in the film. Uh, he plays the, the, the father of uh, Emily, uh, Emil's, uh, you know, I guess now wife in real life. Um, but he was just really, really good in the movie. And, and uh, the actress who played the mother, too, did it. Like, all around, basically, all the acting was phenomenal. The storyline was great. Just a, a really tight script um, with, with just great, great dialogue. So, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, and to what you just said, it, it is absolutely true. The performances in this movie are exceptional, especially for a film that you know can be considered a comedy. You don't expect to get a powerhouse performance from these actors. Like you know, Ray Romano gave, like you said, I'm like I'm not I'm not his biggest fan when I see him in movies and stuff too. But he killed this. He had some really hilarious moments, but. The moments that really resonate with you and stay with you are the moments when he is at his most vulnerable. And he, you know, at times, they, it, it's right. It's a right feeling for those parents going through what their daughter is going through just to feel angry at times. And Ray Romano and uh, Holly Hunter, great, great. They had such great chemistry, I felt. And like you just kept on saying, it just felt real and it felt unique. And it this was di this was different than other type of movies like this that we've seen before and um yeah and, and on top of that even like Kamel Nanjiani kind of held his own right? I mean we, we know him from Silicon Valley and he's a great comedic actor but yeah he he held his own with the with the more veteran actors there in the drama categories and stuff like that so yeah just a great movie all around and again like this is going to be the one movie that I just I might watch like every other month because it was just so enjoyable for me to go through I love it man I love it 
All right. So what's your third film? I'm curious if, we are, if we're going to go three for three. <laughs> All right. Well, you don't want to go three because it technically is your turn to go. Or you want me to go first? All right. I, well, I just, I, I'm like 75% confident we have the same film. So uh, my third, number three, is Get Out. Oh, um, Get Out's my number five that I won't touch upon my on my list. But it's a great pick. It's an absolutely great pick. But yeah, it, it almost made my number three. Oh, man, I thought for sure. All right. <laughs> well, well, all right, so I'll just talk briefly about Get Out. Um, this was obviously a uh, breakout film of the year um, that I it caught me off guard because, I mean, it was getting so much hype, um, a tremendous amount of hype, and I was like, ah, you know, is it really going to be that good? And I watched it, and I was, like, very impressed with it. Overall, I'm not, like, a big, quote-unquote, horror fan, and this is technically a horror film, but it has so many layers to it um and that was the big thing i loved about it i I love when i can see a movie and i can watch it a couple different times and pick up on something completely different you know and i like you know sometimes thinking about the movie after i see it and this just did all that for me like i read a lot of interviews uh, about the film afterward reading a lot of like film critique on it um and just for for you know it's um jordan peele's first movie uh ever um and it just was a, a great, great first attempt. I don't know if he'll, if he'll ever make a film as good as this one, honestly. Um, I know he starred in films like he was in Keanu and stuff like that. And, you know, that was kind of a, a joint venture between, uh, uh, you know, a Key and Peele uh, adventure together. But this was just his solo film uh, that, as a first-time director... Uh, I was super impressed by, and I just loved it. I thought it was a really good movie. Yeah, I'll comment on that, because like I said, Get Out was my number five favorite film of the year, and it is it is an exceptional film. It is an accomplishment, what Jordan Peele did. What I love the most about Get Out is that, it, you, like you said, it, it, like you said, it's kind of hard to call it a horror movie, but it has horrific elements, but again, it's not a horror movie. People... I think maybe IMDb calls it a horror comedy because it is funny at some point, but really there's only like one character that is hilarious aside from him. Like everyone, it's really not a comedy, but it, so what I really liked about it, and like you said, the layers, like in its complexity, it is basically genre breaking. I can't categorize this film in one genre because you can't. It's so complex. It's it has so many layers. It's satirical, you know. It has political, you know, and and racial um, themes involved in it. But at the same time, it is horrific. It's dramatic. It's thrilling. It's psychological. There's just so many things going on in this film and it really just stays with you like you know after those credits roll you're just like wow and it stays with you for days and weeks and months and that's why get out came out so early this year and we're still talking about it in december now and we're still going to be talking about it during award season because it's going to get its nominations that it deserves it is a phenomenal masterpiece of a film and yeah it's a it's a great pick and it's it's a film also that i've rewatched watched a couple times and it is it is just an excellent film and with with you know solid performances but mainly its writing and its direction is where it should get all its credit because it is just the vision that Jordan Peele had for this movie I think he hit it right on the nose he hit a bullseye with the darts it is a great 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 film do you want to add on anything Mike no man I think we've covered it I, I just I really enjoyed it 
Um, you know, it's hard when you have a lot of hype going into a film. Sometimes I, for me at least, that ruins it. But I really liked it, even after all the hype. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna lie. The hype scared me, and I didn't even get to watch it in the theaters because I'm just like, please, like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to enjoy this movie as much as everyone else is. I'm not going to, like, pay money to see this. So eventually I saw it when it got out of theaters, and I regretted my decision not to see it in theaters because I feel like watching this movie with a crowd could have been a really nice experience to go through. But at the same time, I got the gist out of the movie, enjoyed it thoroughly, watched it multiple times, and, yeah, great pick, Mike. All right. Go ahead and name your number three, which I'm now I'm pretty confident I know what it is. But let's see if I'm right. <laughs> My number three movie of the year from 2017 is a film that I recently watched called Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Is that what, what? you thought? Mind blown. <laughs> so that wasn't your uh, prediction for my number three? I thought for sure you were going to go Baby Driver. Oh, no. We'll, we'll talk about that a little after. Baby Driver did not make my top ten. We'll talk about that. So, Three Billboards, Mike, I don't know if you've seen this movie. I'm not going to spoil it, obviously, but have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it, but it is on top of my list. I am a huge Martin McDonough fan uh, from his plays. Um, I I love, uh, he wrote a play called Pillow Man, which is maybe my favorite play. Um, If not, it's it's definitely in my top three for sure. So, I'm a huge fan. I really enjoy his movies. I think they're getting better with each iteration. So, uh, yeah, tell tell me what you thought about it. Uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. <laughs> Aside from it being arguably the longest title of a movie this year that we're talking about, um, I would just call it Three Billboards from now on. <laughs> you know, it was great. Obviously, I loved it. It was my third film of the year. Um, yeah, so just like Mike, I'm a big Martin McDonough fan. I'm not familiar with his, uh, his, his plays, and he is a playwright before he became, you know, director and screenwriter, but... His movies, In Bruges and Seven Seven Psychopaths, were his previous two movies, and I enjoyed those movies both. And I like to call him, like, he is right up there with the Coen brothers making these dark comedies, these dramas, these thrillers, these dark comedies. He has a very kind of sick sense of humor, but if you kind of take it, but it's thrown into a, a light where, like, you can... It's still enjoyable. And Three Billboards, is just it just fits that mold perfectly. And I was on board when I started hearing critics saying that this is a this, is this year's Fargo. And uh, in addition to loving the movie from the Coen brothers and loving the TV series by Noah Hawley, I'm just like, this movie's going to be in it for me. I, this is going to be a perfectly fit movie for me. And the one thing to really that stands out from Three Billboards are the acting performances. There is not a bad performance from Lucas Hedges, who has the most the smallest role, to the main character Francis McDormand, who kills it. Definitely will be up for uh, trying to get that uh, Oscar. And Woody Harrelson gives a great performance. And maybe the best performance of all of them was Sam Rockwell, who is kind of a you know we've seen him. Martin McDonough movies before, and he is maybe one of the most underrated actors, I feel like, in Hollywood, and I hope he gets his glory and his recognition this year at the Oscars, and he has a very good chance. But on top of that, you know, Peter Dinklage is in this movie, and I can't even remember some of the other small characters in this film, but you you see them, you're like, oh, I know this guy, and they just give absolute great performances. They, all all these actors make, 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 exactly what Martin McDonough wanted with their characters. 
And I'm not going to say that the plot isn't messy. Like, the plot is not perfect. The screenwriting with the plot is not as tidy as you would want it to be from, like, a strong playwright as Martin McDonough himself. There are definitely some messy moments. But as a whole... This movie made me feel, this movie made me angry, this movie made me laugh, this movie made me just, I was in it for the ride. Exactly like t- maybe 10 minutes in, I'm just like, this is, I can't wait to see how this turns out. And this was a movie that was a little bit unpredictable, because although you think you know where it's going, it, there's no big twist in this film, but it does take some, um, some really interesting turns and decisions that Mark McDonough took with this film that, uh, and it's, it's, it's not a whodunit, and I, that's not a spoiler, because this film revolves around a crime that isn't solved, and usually movies will make this like a, okay, th- no one's focusing on this crime, mother cries out to get, you know, vengeance or, or just, just to get answers, and then the the police force starts investigating. It's not a whodunit, it's not an investigation, it is basically, we, we experience and we look at these characters and how they handle grief, how they handle hatred, how they handle, handle their family and this small town in Missouri, and how it's such a close-knit community, how they either band together or they either, you know, throw you out and they expel you from the town. So I thought it was a really, really awesome film. I, it's another film that I can't wait to see again because I've only seen it once. And again, you know, obviously from this, it gets my uh, stamp of approval. I highly recommend it to you, Mike. I, it is high on my list of movies that I do want to see. Uh, hopefully before the year is out, but there's only a couple of days left, so we'll, we'll, we'll see if that happens. <laughs> All right, so before we wrap up movies and go to television, um, let's just have a, a brief discussion about what we thought about maybe some of our honorable mention movies or just some movies that stood out and that you might want to discuss, uh, Mike. So I know you mentioned Baby Driver. You want to talk about that or you want to talk about just, just things that you were watching in 2017? You know, I'll just briefly touch on, like, you mentioned earlier on in the podcast that there were a lot of experimental films this year, and we've kind of talked about, I mean, Get Out is kind of one. You could even make an argument and say, you know, Big Sick is a little bit experimental in in some ways. Um, But uh, you also mentioned Mother um, by Darren Aronofsky um, that came out this year starring Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, I watched that recently. And, uh, man, I have no idea what that film was really about. <laughs> have you had an opportunity to see that movie? Yeah, so I saw Mother. Uh, I didn't see it in theaters because it definitely got quite a backlash with it. It was very, very mixed. I saw Mother, and I also saw another film that can go kind of in line with it, A Ghost Story. Have you seen that movie yet, Mike? I have not. So, so these are two very like art house films. Like you said, there's there's not a linear plot to really follow. And Mother was it it Aronofsky could be such a mixed bag when you go into a movie knowing that he has you know all the control over it. And yeah, when I saw Mother, I was I was intrigued by the mystery that was you know revolving around it, and and so. I liked the movie a lot. I when it went, during the second half of the film when things got really chaotic, that's kind of when I figured out what was going on, but I had to read about what was going on in the first half to kind of make sense of it. Um 
not yeah I'm, so so let me just interrupt you real quick. Okay. That's like, I think, I mean, you're right. This you know, is hard to talk about without giving spoilers away. Yeah. <laughs> but the second half of the film, it, yeah, it becomes pretty clear, like, what the idea is or, or what the, you know, comment on, I can't even say, but it comments on something, okay, <laughs> uh, it is about. So, like, what the movie's trying to say. But, you know, you watch. I don't know if the movie's two hours long or whatever, but you watch like an hour and 30 minutes or something like that, kind of like being, what the hell is is, is like happening? Um, and while I agree with you, I, I liked it because it was different. I mean, it was really different in a lot of ways. And it was just interesting, and the performances were really good. Um, and the script was pretty interesting, but I just feel like it kind of was a mess in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's... You know, uh, I think about these, and art house films, and these very experimental projects, they're not going to be, obviously they're not going to be accepted by the general public, they're not going to be, I, I, you know, it's never going to make over a hundred million dollars, these types of films, but these are a type of films that maybe can get cult status, and I don't know if Mother will, because it is very difficult to watch at times, there are some really out there moments where you're just like, why is this happening, but at the same time, I love how Aronofsky just went for it, he's just like, this is just his Hail Mary, he's just like, I want to make this movie, I want to make it the way that I want to make it, no studio is going to tell me not to do this, and I don't care if if no one understands it, this is the film I want to make, and I kind of really just respect that. And it's 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 because of when we have these visionary filmmakers that are still willing to do things like this, it can really it can really balance out the majority of mainstream Hollywood films that we are just fed and you know force fed time and time again. So it makes these films stand out even more. A film like A Ghost Story, a film like Mother, a f- these type of a film like you know the, we're talking about art house films here. Like when you make Tree of Life or 2001: Space Odyssey or Mulholland Drive, like those are the films that I can get really passionate about because I feel the passion from the directors, from the filmmakers, and I feel like it's a really important part in Hollywood so that they keep on making these films. If not, we're just going to get. We're going to get a formula after a while, and it's that's not going to be fun to watch. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I agree with you, and, and I got I, you know this is the reason I brought it this this movie up because I respect the attempt. Like I respect you know it's amb- it's uh, you know he's going he's taking a big swing. He's trying for something different, um, and I, I admire that. You know I think it's awesome that they make and release the film, and that they got Jennifer Lawrence to play the leading role. Um, you know, it, all of it is pretty, is pretty cool. Um, I, I, I just, like, I want to like the movie more. That's the problem. Like, I want to walk out of there and be like, yes, I can fight for this film, like, you know, but I, it just, it just left me short a little bit. Like, I, I wanted more. Um, I wanted someone to get something more out of the film for myself, you know, and, and I guess that's what we all go into movies for, generally speaking, like, to feel something. Or to take something away, and I just felt like I didn't get either of those things from the movie. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, yeah, obviously it wasn't a top ten film of mine. It, I feel like it's one, especially as movie lovers as we are, or anyone that loves to watch movies. It's 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 an important movie to watch. I feel like. I would recommend that people have to just watch this movie. You don't have to like it. You probably won't like it. But just to observe what Aronofsky attempts and executes in this film. And it might be the most 
for people who have watched it, it might be one of the most, you know, discussion and, like, just controversial films to talk about, and that makes it fun. I mean, it's just fun to talk about a movie in this way. You really can't talk about any other film the way that you can talk about Mother from this year, and I think that is a feat in itself. Um, to jump on what you said earlier, Mike, I agree with you that I feel like 2017, it just felt like a really important movie year because not that there were any standout movies, but movies were done, like typical movies were done that we're used to seeing many, many times over and over again, but they were done in a different way, in a different perspective. Like you, like we already discussed, you know, Big Sick was your kind of typical, like, dramedy, but it had, like, a Pakistani actor, and it had, a, you know, a sickly, you know, woman in that, and, it, and it, had, it dealt with different cultures in this film that we haven't really seen before. Dunkirk was a very non-conventional war film that we felt it, and on top of that, I just want to, I want to add, like, you know, we had Wonder Woman this year might be the most successful female-driven superhero film ever. I know there was probably only like a handful more, but we're we're so used to these, you know, superhero films with with male, you know, stars and, and and male characters. Like, why not Wonder Woman? And it was an absolute success, and I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. Mike, have you seen it? Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> Again, we're not into we're not big into superheroes, but I just just the fact that. To really put perspective on this was a female superhero that I've still talked to people today and they were just like, they they still are kind of against seeing a movie with a female superhero. I'm like, really? Like, that, that still exists. But to have a... To have a movie where little girls can actually look up to as an icon, as a role model, in in the way that little boys love to dress up as Batman and and Superman, like you know, now they can dress up as one. It's really like empowering for women, and I think women directors in its own right had a big year this year because aside from Patty Jenkins who did Wonder Woman, you know, Greta Gerwig had an amazing film, arguably the best film of the year with Lady Bird, and it was her first directorial debut film and she just hits not even a home run but she hit a grand slam with Lady Bird my number four movie of the year was Lady Bird and it, it, it is exceptional we have Catherine Bigelow who did Detroit and we all know because she is a very strong um, female director that does a lot of political movies and Detroit was aside from Dunkirk it was the second most intense movie I watched all year. And then we had a movie called Mudbound from Dee Reese, another female director that was a Netflix movie, and that was an exceptional film, too. So I'm just saying, like, this was a, such a cool f- year of movies for all these different perspectives that we're getting. Mike, you want to add on? Uh, well, I didn't see any of those movies, so... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but they all sound good, and they're all on my list to check out. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else before we move on to TV? Uh, no. You know, I, I, I'm just looking forward. You know, I, I want to see some some more films here. I'll be curious to see what happens during award season, and uh, it'll be it'll be pretty interesting to see how it all unfolds. I feel like I don't know. It's it's already you know a couple days away from Christmas, so you know we're pretty late in December, and I feel like the Oscar picture of like who's going to be nominated and stuff is not it's not really flushed out yet yeah there's some some solid contenders but uh i feel like there's still a lot could happen in the next couple weeks so it'll be interesting to see 
So I don't know if you know, Mike, but I've been doing some podcasting without you during your hiatus. And How dare you? <laughs> and one segment that I have um, created was I call myself the Oscar Doctor. <laughs> and I go through, you know, Oscar potentials and, um, and I really dig deep into my research on what films I feel like it's going to win. And as of right now, you're right, it is very early, but I'm saying, like, I'm fairly confident that it's going to be Get Out versus Lady Bird for Best Picture this year. Interesting. So we'll talk more about that uh, another time. But okay, so TV, as Mike said, you know, he thought this was a phenomenal year of television, and I would have to agree with him. And we're going to discuss some of our favorites from 2017 and just generally as a whole of what shows we enjoyed and maybe what shows we didn't enjoy, maybe, you know, so we'll see. Mike, do the honors. Do you, you want to say anything about, anything about TV or you want to just go right to your picks? Yeah, I mean, I think we basically, I, I kind of made my, my plea for it, the fact that this year was the better year uh, for TV than it was for film. Um, and I mean, there was, there, I don't even know where to begin. And I was trying to narrow a list of three TV shows down in my head. But there was just so much good TV that no matter what, I'm going to be leaving somebody out. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> one, two shows I want to just, I, I want to start out with honorable mentions. And I know that sounds weird. But I just feel like um, they were two of my favorite shows. They were the last seasons of both of these shows. And, and um, I just have to mention them because they probably would be in my top three. But I'm not going to put them in there just because they're... So that would be The Leftovers and Halt and Catch Fire. Um, the final seasons of both of those shows this year. And they both were just equally amazing and completely different from each other um so if you haven't seen either of those shows i highly recommend checking both of them out and they just had amazing amazing years this year so those are my honorable mentions for this year yeah um i mean i am not caught up with the leftovers but it is i mean i have i haven't even started season three yet and it is one of my favorite shows. It's just so hard to watch, and it's hard for me to get through. <laughs> and I feel like I really have to sit down and watch every episode, so I haven't given myself the time to do that with that show. And also, the wifey does not like that show. She thinks it's too intense for her, so it's tough to uh, find time to watch that show and finish it off when my wife is not around. So it, I haven't finished it yet, but yes, it has been getting a crazy amount of acclaim. And also, Halt and Catch Fire. Like, I get recommendations from you. I get recommendations from Dan. It's one of your favorite shows. Like, it's, it, I definitely want to pick that up eventually. Um, but yeah, those are good picks, Mike. Alright, so what was, uh, let's start off with you. What was your number one show of the year? My number one show, my favorite show of 2017, is a show that Mike and I have discussed thoroughly on the podcast and off the podcast. It is called The Good Place, starring Kristen Bell and Ted Danson on NBC. This show just not, does not, just does, does not cease to amaze me and, and just, it, for, for the finale of season one, through what we've dealt with in season two so far, it is just, it, I didn't think they could continue after that finale, and we've talked about it, and the finale technically counts as 2017, because it happened last uh, this January, so I didn't think they were going to pick up from where the finale left off, and then they went in a different direction, but it's still such a fascinating direction, and 
I'm not even going to... This is a laugh-out-loud funny show still, and I can I can thoroughly say that it's a show that should be screen-grabbed at so many times because you're missing so many jokes every single episode because there's so many specific detailed moments going on either in the background or between every single line of dialogue that is just really, really funny. And I think... Some of the standout performances this year in season two has been obviously Ted Danson, and I would even say the the, the actress who plays Janet has been killing it. You would think that like a robotic character can't be given a you know a, a, a recognizable type of performance, but who I forget her name is it, it escapes me now. But she is giving a great performance as Janet this year. She's obviously been giving a lot more material, and just the way I would say it right now, this is probably the most serialized comedy show of all time so that makes it exciting um in addition for it being funny it it, it it tackles issues and themes about what's it really take to be a good person how can if you are a bad person can you really atone yourself to become a good person what are the moral ethics of doing things that are right or wrong these are some issues that are not usually tackled in a comedy. These are issues that are tackled in dramas and, you know, very eloquently written movies. So just everything about this show is, it's such a delight. And it's my number one film, I'm not film, I keep on saying film, my number one show because I just absolutely love and adore this show. I can't wait for it to come back for the second half of season two. Mike, I know you've watched the show, so what's your comment? Yeah, so this... I, I, I this was a, I loved the show first and foremost, and it was in my top three, and then it was out of my top three, and then it was in again, and then it, it fell out. So I think it's in my number four spot. Um, as I was saying this sentence, I wasn't sure which way it was going to land. Um, but I love I did love the Good Place. I mean, it, it just the show came out of nowhere. Um, you know, I don't I don't know how much they advertised it to begin with, but I just remember like kind of like catching it on TV and being like, "What the hell is this? Kristen Bell and Ted Danson? I'll check it out." Um, and it's really become one of my favorite comedies on TV. I just love the show. It's just so funny. Um, they added one of my favorite comedic actors, whose name I can never remember, um, but he he he's been on uh, he's been on Brooklyn Nine Nine, and he was he's also uh, been in. That movie, The House, this year with Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler. I think um, his name is Jason Mustakis or Mustukis or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> I can never pronounce it. But uh, he was just absolutely hilarious in the in the show this year. Um, I just loved it. I mean, The Good Place is is a is a great place to watch TV. <laughs> All right, Mike. I'm I, I'm interested to hear your number one show. So I, I'm not going to talk too much about this because we've had a full podcast, and I know we've also talked about it in, in one or two other podcasts, but uh, Master of None Season 2. Uh, it, it might go down as one of my favorite seasons of TV ever. I just, I cannot say enough good things about that show. And it just blew me away, and I've rewatched it, um, and I rarely rewatch a season of TV. Um, it just was awesome. So I love that show. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Yeah, and just to, like you said, we have spent 
a, long, a lot of time talking about this. This definitely made my top ten list. Um, it's a great, it's a great season. It, it it definitely overcame any expectations that I had with it, especially stemming from season one. And um, and the only disappointing thing about it is that I don't know when or if season three is going to happen. So I'm very, very um, disappointed, Mister Aziz. So get on that, please. We need more uh, Master of None. Yeah, but you know what? I I, I don't know that this show need like. Like, the show was just so great. You know, it had such a perfect ending to it that I, I can, I'm fine if they never make another season. Like, I, I worry about the next season living up to, in my mind, how great this season was. So I'll be okay if they don't make another. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you're right. Uh, if this ends it here, that that'll be fine. But I just feel, I feel like we're only tapping into Aziz's potential now with season two because, like. The first half of season two was very experimental and very standalone. It didn't really have to do with the Aziz and the Italian girl's second half of the, of the drama romance story. And not going to lie, I prefer the experimental episodes like I Love You New York and Thanksgiving. I And I feel like there's more where that came from from Aziz and I want to see more. Maybe it won't be done in the format of Master of None, but Aziz should definitely keep on doing his thing and I, I'm excited for where he can go next. I, I just love like what the season says about like our lives. Like we, you know, we spend our younger years or you know our more immature time kind of like experimenting or doing new things and, and being adventurous. It's like, and then it's like as we get a little older or as we realize what we really want, you know, then we like focus in and and we we try to obtain what we're what our goal is or you know who we want to be with and spend our time with. So that becomes our focus. I mean, it, it just like. Everything about it just it speaks to me. Uh, how we, you know we talked about how mother didn't speak to me. This speaks to me on so many levels, and yeah, it's just hands down my favorite. <laughs> awesome, no great pick. It's definitely a great season of television. All right, so I'll go my number two. Is that cool? All right, my number two, another show that Mike and I have talked about in the past on the podcast is the season one of Legion. That was the new uh, X-Men Universe show from Noah Hawley, who is better known for his Fargo series. But he did, he was able to make time in his busy schedule and make this excellent season of television on FX. And I just ate up everything about Legion. As you know from Mike and I, you know, we're not big superhero fans and, you know, the Marvel Universe has been beaten to death, but this was such a new perspective of mutants, of the X-Men Universe. It dealt more with, um, you know, just, just mental illnesses and trying to overcome these abilities or disabilities that you have had your entire life listening to your friend and family being institutionalized not knowing what your limits are or your capabilities are trying to overcome many adversity and obstacles in your life and just it was just done in such a visually beautiful aesthetic way that other than legion i think the only show that i can say is as beautiful or innovative in its cinematography and its shots is Mr. Robot. And those are two shows that are easily just some... uh, My mind is blown, not from the plot, but from 
the way that they shoot these shows and Legion was colorful it was dark it was it was really really intense at times and you know I just loved everything about this show technically performance wise obviously Aubrey Plaza gave a you know tour de force performance Dan Stevens as the main character David is excellent in it well and there's just a, a, a big part of the ensemble cast that are just great all around so I thoroughly enjoyed Legion season one cannot wait for the next season I agree man Legion was phenomenal um, this is yet another show that was in and out of my top three and is taking my number five spot, but I just, I loved it. It was really, really good. And, and it could be a, a season I go back and watch again because you're right, it was just some really innovative filmmaking. Well, I call it filmmaking, but TV show making, um, small screen making, whatever you want to say. It, it was just really good, great original content. Again, um, like I said, man, there's just so many TV shows this year. So many great, great, New shows, um, you know, final seasons of shows. I mean, it was just outstanding. All right, yeah, I agree. So, Mike, your number... Are we on two or three? I forget. <laughs> We're on two for me. All right, go um, So, I, I'm, I'm going to throw a little bit of a, a monkey wrench into this, and I'm going to mention uh, Big Little Lies. Have you had an opportunity to see this show? This is one prestige show that has escaped me so far i will eventually watch it um but yes i have not seen this show yet so this is a show that um maybe is so high on my list because i went in with pretty low expectations uh it was getting a lot of hype but it just didn't appeal to me um from the previews that i had seen i was like oh i kind of don't really understand what that show's about (laughs) you know um and that I don't know if that was poor marketing or poor on my part for just not really getting what the show was. But, um, you know, my wife and I watched it, and I was really impressed with the show. Um, it's it's a pr- pretty straightforward show. It's just about these three women and their lives, and they, you know, have got some, like, interesting things going on. Um, I don't want to give any spoilers away. Um, but it's just it, it's some great dialogue, some fantastic performances from all three leading actresses um and i just really really i walked away and i just really liked that show and it was one i thought about too for a while after it was over um so i highly recommend big little lies Uh, i think you should check it out yeah i definitely it's definitely up on my list to watch eventually i think it's fairly short right there's only like six or seven eight episodes of it right mike yeah i think it's eight i think it's eight episodes right so it's fairly short so that's not concerning for me and um yeah it's definitely on my list i want to watch it heard great things about it and just like you know like you said it didn't really appeal to me when it came out and like it it could be the, the greatest like quality show but i'm just not sure if the content was going to appeal to me but hearing you talk about it and how much you loved it and some of my other friends really loved it too i'm definitely going to give this a shot I think you'll really enjoy it. And for the audience out there, uh, I definitely say watch it if you, you know, especially like if you're a man, like I I know that sounds weird, but you know, as a man, like I was like, okay, you know, three women living their lives. Like, I don't know if that's going to be the most appealing to me because I can't relate to it, you know, but I watched it and I was like blown away uh, by the quality the content. It was really, really good, you know, and uh, I, you know, I think maybe I was being stereotypical. I'll admit it. So I, (laughs) kick myself in the butt for that, but it was really good. (laughs) 
Sounds good. All right, I'm going to go on to my number three show of 2017, and that was one that I just finished this past week. It is a, uh, the Netflix show Mindhunter. Mike, is that on your list? That is my number three, sir. So glad you brought it up. <laughs> awesome. So we'll have a lot to talk about. Um, do you want to start or you want me to go? Uh, yeah, you go ahead. All right, so like I said, Mindhunter is just fresh. It, it might be higher on my list it's just so fresh that i didn't feel comfortable making it like my number one or two at the time being i have to let it kind of digest a little more but this is a uh, david fincher and joe penhoff uh you know show that really dives deep into the fbi unit that kind of for the first time they're really tapping into the psychological uh, minds of you know, serial killers, and it's about how the term serial killers was even originated, and it's so fascinating, and what I truly love about this show was how how specific and detailed they go into trying to figure out, just tap into the minds of people who have done grotesque and horrible things to other humans and just having the main characters of you know Holden and Bill just just and they're I love their relationship and their chemistry because they're kind of like an odd couple you know pairing in the FBI and them going through this process of interviewing these killers um it is just so fascinating and I don't know, there's there's not enough things to be said about this show, and the show ended in a way where it's just like, it's just, you're craving for so much more, and I'm not gonna lie, the show is definitely, you know, slow burning at times, but it's because of that makes you kind of lend your ear closer to the television to pick up on all of the dialogue that is being spoken, and to pick up on all of the mannerisms that each character is giving off. And it is, it's great in development of character, it's great in direction and in writing, it's, it's adapted from a novel from someone, I forget his name, maybe John Douglas or something like that. It is just all around a phenomenal season of television, and I can't wait for the next season. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I completely agree. And, and I think about the title to the show, Mindhunter. Like, it, it's such a perfect title um, because it just exactly describes, like, they're hunting. They're trying to figure out, track down, identify, capture the mind of these people, these serial killers. And it's just through that, that hunt, you know, um, that the main character, like, is just... He cannot give up. He has to figure it out. He has to identify and correlate what what is happening between these quote unquote serial killers. Um, that it, it, you just get wrapped in, and you become you become kind of like his character. You know, you're like, what? You know, he's asking these questions, and you're like, now I'm asking these questions. Why do they do this? You know, what is it about their childhood that leads them to this direction? You know. What do they have in common so that we can can identify them moving forward in the future? It's just it's just so fascinating. Um, and like you said, the relationship between him and Holder that's his name, right? Holder. Holden. Holden. Yeah. Holden. Yes. I I always think of um, the killing because Holder was the was the the you know the one of the detectives. Right. The killing, right. Which, yeah. Uh, you know, possibly my favorite show of all time. <laughs> one of two. Um. So yeah, Holden in this show, he. 
made me laugh so much during the show. And I don't know that that was the intent, but just some of his sarcastic remarks um, between when they're talking to each other just like made me burst out in my chair laughing. Um, he just was phenomenal, phenomenal, uh, you know, co-character, uh, co-leading character. So I just love the show. It was great. And uh, it's only not to give anything away, but it's only because of how the season ended that it wasn't higher on my list. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they, it definitely is like, okay, like leading you into season two and like where are these characters going to go from here? And I just, I guess I would have liked a little, a little bit of a, a more resolved ending in some manner or form. Um, but yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I agree. It definitely didn't resolve anything. If anything, it just opened up more cans of worms. But, um, I'll, you know, so when I, before I even started watching this show, I knew that Jonathan Groff was the main character. And just knowing what kind of show this was going to be, I was fascinated because I don't see him ever as a dramatic actor. I saw him as, you know, Spring Awakening and uh, Hamilton on Broadway, and I saw him on Glee. Like, so did, did, did that come across your mind, Mike, before or while you're watching? You're like, this is Jonathan Groff. I'm like, is he going to sing during this show? Like, I had no Like, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I was definitely impressed by his acting chops on this show. Uh, no, I didn't realize who he was, actually. Uh, but now that you say that, I, I think that's pretty funny. I do remember him from Glee. Right, yeah. Glee and that HBO show, Looking. And um, I recently listened to a um, a an interview with him and how he got onto like, you know, Mindhunter and everything. And so this was fascinating to me. And I'm just going to throw this out there in case you didn't know, Mike, that Jonathan Groff was like final two. So he auditioned for The Social Network, which was directed by David Fincher. And he was final two in the, in the casting process. And he lost out to Justin Timberlake for that role in Social Network. What? How funny is that? That's so weird. I thought you were going to say he, he, he was up for the main role for, um, yeah, for, for, for Zuckerberg. Right, right, for Zuckerberg, played by uh, Eisenberg. Yeah, exactly. Like, he seems more to fit that role than, you know, the the, the, the character that uh, that Justin Timberlake played. But, yeah, when, when I listened to that, I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't see anybody else... Timberlake playing that role, but yeah, that's that is pretty fascinating. <laughs> All right, so like you said, Mike, this was a big year of television. Um, aside from your honorable honorable mentions, are there any other you know shows you want to hit on, or any type of things that you saw some patterns throughout this year of TV? Aside of it being just a really relatively very strong year of TV. I mean, you know, I just gotta also mention Strange. Your thing, season two was phenomenal. Loved it. Um, Game of Thrones had a, as we talked about in one of our podcasts, kind of an uneven season, but it was still very, very good. Um, and then, uh, what else? What other shows can I mention? Um, let's see. The Handmaid's Tale that was this year, also a very strong uh, film, uh, a TV show. See, I want to call everything a film because it was just so good. <laughs> um, also, really enjoyed Glow and. Um, Mr. Robot, like you mentioned, you know, um, that just finished recently and that was really, really good too. I mean, just, I could keep going on and on, but you know, I think you get my point. There's just a ton of great shows, a lot of things to mention. So yeah. And, and, and to piggyback what you just said, almost all those shows were on my, you know, top 10 list. Like Handmaid's Tale was number four. 
I had Fargo, Americans, Master and None, Mr. Robot, Game of Thrones, Stranger Things, Insecure. Like those were my favorite shows of the year. But like you said, you go on and on. There's so there was so many, so much great TV. And here's a question that I have for you: Do you feel like that maybe TV? Because we're getting, so, I think mean, this is like a weird thing to say because we shouldn't. I should never be complaining, and this isn't really a complaint, but I should never be commenting on there being too much of something that's great or good. But do you feel like television would become a little bit too oversaturated with this type of prestige television? Because I would say, out of all the shows that we've discussed on this podcast so far today. It's so hard. None of those shows are really must-watch when they just, like, come out. Or at least it's different when Netflix releases a whole show at once. But I would say the only show that is must-watch television now is Game of Thrones. Because every single Sunday night when Game of Thrones is coming on, you have to sit down in your living room, TV on at exactly 8.59 so you can catch it, and just talk about it the next day. Obviously, the the, the state of streaming and, you know, video on demand, and that, that has changed. But even throughout that process and this change of format game of thrones is still that must watch tv after game of thrones is done in whenever whenever they're going to release their final season i'm not even sure if there's ever going to be another must watch television show on tv mike what do you think well i think of westworld (laughs) um for me that's a mess a must watch and I think that it will kind of I am, I'm hoping it'll become that because I feel like it kind of was a, a, that a little bit when it aired um, but I, for the most part you're right I don't think there's any must watch TV shows anymore other than Game of Thrones um, and I, I I don't know I don't know that that's that big of a deal like I, I, I like kind of being just able to watch anything whenever I want um, you know just selfishly but I do feel like what you started to say that there's just so many, so much good TV uh, that it's almost like it can't sustain itself. You know, it, it, at some point it's going to go off the rails and they're going to run out of ideas or, you know, great shows are going to get canceled because just not enough people are watching them. Yeah, and it's just I don't know, I don't know about you, man, but I I love watching TV shows and movies and. You know, it's one thing to just, like, really thoroughly enjoy it, but I want to be immersed in discussions, and I want to talk to my friends and family about certain aspects that are that's worth talking about. That's why they have, like, book clubs, and that's why they that's why you have book reports to explore the themes and the, 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 the strategies used in all these t- different types of mediums, and I feel like... I feel like you can never find two people that have watched the same, even even us right now. We've had a lot of things, similar things that we've watched, but like I didn't watch, you know, Big Little Lies, and I I know you don't watch The Americans, and like these, and we could just say those are two of the, the finest quality shows critically acclaimed shows of like you know this year and 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 previous years you're never we're never gonna have that again it feels like and in a way that kind of takes away like i talk about the good place with you but outside of you and maybe like one other friend like no one else has ever watched this show and it frustrates me but i can't like sell this show any higher than saying that this is my number one show of 2017 and i don't know that aspect i like you know you could think about 
about you can think about the the years when um when Lost was around and there wasn't that much TV so literally everyone watched Lost and like Sopranos was the same thing and Breaking Bad like obviously but now we're getting closer to the current era of television where yes it is a boom of TV quality but there's just so much now I can't even relate to anyone anymore and that's frustrating for me. Yeah, I completely understand. You know, it, it, you could shout from the rooftops for trying to get someone to watch a specific TV show or even movie sometimes, and people are just going to do whatever they want, and they're going to watch the TV shows they want to watch or the things that they're into. You know, we've definitely, there's so much content that you, like you said, you create your own space and you watch what you watch, but it's hard when you want to, you know, uh, commiserate with somebody else and, and talk about those shows, um, and no one's seen what you've seen. Um, it, it does make it, it very difficult, but I guess in today's world, if it's like if you really want to, you could just go on, you know, Reddit or some forum somewhere, and you can find people to talk about a show with, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. But I guess it is a great problem to have, you know. Like I said, I can't complain about there being enough great television out there. Before we wrap it up, I just want to do one honorable mention of television because it's not really. Technically not really television, but it kind of is because it was a Netflix special um, stand-up by Hassan Minaj, uh, Homecoming King. Have you seen this, Mike? I have not, but it is on my list. And like, I don't want to, I don't want to give you unrealistic expectations, but this was something that just was perfect for me, and. I mean, I would just outrightly say I don't always enjoy stand-up acts. I don't, I don't find the appeal of going to a live stand-up act and watching it. Like, I don't, I mean, it's cool and all, but I wouldn't like to pay money for it. And I've watched countless numbers of you know stand-up acts on TV, and Netflix has probably two thousand of them on their streaming service. But this this Hassan Minaj's Homecoming King on Netflix was I was going to put that like top five of my television shows, but I'm like, no, it's not a television show. It's just, like, one thing. If, if I had a list of, like, my favorite episodes of 2017, maybe I would put that on my top ten list because it was, you know, it's just similar to, like, Big Sick. It made me laugh, and it made me cry. And his way of storytelling, which is so fluent, and it flowed so well, and it was, like I said, like, there, there's, he has a specific brand and a specific style that I just feels like it caters to what I look for when I want when I watch a comedian perform and it's different from other comedians but it's perfect for me and so I will easily say that it is the best stand-up act I've ever seen so I recommend it well just real briefly because everything you're describing kind of sounds like Mike Birbiglia to me as well okay Um, if you haven't seen Mike Birbiglia's um, my girlfriend's boyfriend special. You should definitely check that out because that's one of my favorite uh, stand-up specials ever. It's on. That's uh, also on Netflix for anybody interested. Perfect. Yeah, I'll definitely catch that. And um, anything else we got to say, Michael? Before we call it quits here. No, it's been an interesting year in 2017. Lots of changes for me personally. Lots of interesting content out there for everybody. Um, yeah, so we'll be curious to see what 2018 brings for all of us. That's right, 2018, ringing in the new year very, very soon. All right, thank you, Mike, for this. I know you had to take out some of your busy, busy day to do this podcast, so I truly appreciate it, and I think the fans will appreciate it too. 
Yeah, well, thank you guys for listening, everybody, and have a happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Peace.